0: football therapy welcome back everyone to episode two of football therapy and Andrew how are you today
1: I'm great Paul thanks so much
0: for asking I didn't actually care all right so on today's podcast um, we're going to talk about the finals of all three tournaments that happen on Sunday so the final of the Women's World Cup the Copa America and the Gold Cup we will quickly review the round of 16 from the African Championships And we're going to talk kits, because all the kits now are pretty much out, and so we're going to do a quick review of the kits from the biggest clubs in Europe. All right, well, to start off, uh, let's go with the final of the Women's World Cup, uh, United States-Netherlands. So if we go back to the previous pod, I believe, Andrew, you predicted a 2-1 win for the U.S., and I had predicted a 2-2 tie with the Netherlands winning on penalties. So I guess a... Minor congratulations are in order, so minor congratulations to you for predicting the U.S. win. So uh, for anyone keeping score at home, that's 1-0 uh, to me on the prediction count. All right, well, yes, I guess I'll give you a point for predicting what 99% of the world was predicting. You Good job. You guess? You guess you'll give it to me? Yeah, I guess I'll give it to you. It's not that impressive an accomplishment. I already had it. You didn't have to give it to me. You already had what? the point. Okay, well, so, yeah, I guess it was to no one's surprise that the US won. Um, they pretty much controlled the game. I don't think they're in peril at all, which can be clearly seen when you look at shots on shots and shots on target. Um, as you can see, just by looking at the shots on target, when the Netherlands only had one all match, they really shot on goal one all match, and um, on the other hand, the US had 10 shots on target, and the Dutch goalkeeper, Van uh, <clears throat> Van Vindendal really had her work cut out for her and did really well in the first half with some brilliant saves to keep the Dutch woman in the game. But um, in the end, you know, it wasn't enough and sort of, let's call it what it is, the American powerhouse just steamrolled them in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Dutch goalkeeper kept them in pretty much the whole time and she was... Um,
0: Thanks for repeating what I just said. You said the
1: first half, I said the whole time. Not
0: really, because then, you know, the whole time they lost 2-0, so she didn't really keep them in game the whole time. Well,
1: it could have been a lot worse, is what I'm saying. Uh, The Dutch physicality was the the main barrier that the U.S. women had to overcome, and they did in the second half. With flying colors, they won the match deservedly and took home the third World Cup for the U.S. women in a row. So, yeah, congratulations to the U.S. women.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it looks like the Netherlands also didn't have a lot of belief um, to win they didn't really go after it as much as the Americans wanted to yeah and
1: that goes back to the uh, mentality we talked about last time when uh, teams are playing the U.S.
0: no I totally agree I don't know if they came into the match thinking that they couldn't win or I don't know what it was but I think as time moved on um, Americans probably not even grew grew into confidence but just were like, okay, now we have to just kick into second gear and get this over with, and that's what they did. Yeah, meanwhile, your girl, Dedonk, and uh,
1: Medima couldn't really link up with the rest of the Dutch attack to produce much of a goal-scoring
0: threat, especially when they were sitting so deep. As can be seen, again, by their by their shots and the opportunities. And now, um, if we look at the tournament overall, just from an individual player's standpoint, uh, we have Megan Rapinoe getting player of the tournament as well as top scorer. Do you have any more to say about her? Do you think it was deserved? Was she the best player?
1: Uh, yes, I think Megan Rapino was, among a few others, one of the best players at the tournament.
0: Who else would you put up there?
1: Um, for the American women, I'd put in Tobin Heath. I would consider the, uh, the U.S. defense, just the center back pairing of Sauerbrunn. And, um, do
0: you know how to say her name? Dahl Kemper? I'm not American, so no, I don't know. I don't think it's an
1: an originally American name, but okay.
0: (laughs) Regardless, uh, I think they were really good. Um, I was going to say, yeah, is there anyone else that you thought had a good individual tournament besides the American woman? um, Ellen White for the English. Could have been top scorer. Probably wanted to take
1: it away from uh, any of the American uh, women who could have won, who beat them. Uh, I think she had a really good tournament. I think Lucy Bronze especially with her goal in the quarterfinals, could be considered one of the better players. Who would you have up there, Paul?
0: That's the thing, is that I think there's only three teams whose player is really shown. Um, And that's obviously the U.S., the Netherlands, and England. But I think that Megan Rapinoe is by far, by a country mile, the best player of this tournament. She's definitely, for me, the best all-around player. There's nothing she can't do. she was a top scorer and an actual top scorer, not like an Alex Morgan top scorer that scored five or six goals in one game against the weakest team in the competition. Yeah,
1: she, uh, she definitely shone. And it's clear to me why she's captain. And uh, I think she deserved uh, best player of the
0: tournament. What did you think of the tournament as a whole and the uh, sort of impact it has and the impact that it will have?
1: Um, well, just talking about European football... Or women's football in general. For a moment, I think that a lot of their, a lot of the games broke viewership records and rating records for for games in Europe. So I think that's important for growing the uh, women's league domestically in those countries. And also, I think the announcement that the prize money is going to be raised for winning the final in the next tournament from 30 million this year to 60 million in four years is a big step forward for improving the kind of teams that uh, will be able to compete in the next
0: tournament yeah do you think this whole um, boom in viewership during the world cup will trickle down or transition to women's club football or do you think it's just an annual sorry an annual do you think it's just like a one-time event for the world cup that you know even with the men's you see a very inflated viewership because people who don't usually follow club football will follow the world cup because you know it's a national event it's you know you get behind your country you support your country it's more than just a club that you follow and it's a one-time thing in four years So people who aren't as into football just you know they say this is a very rare occasion that happens once every four years so i'm going to go ahead and root for my team root for my country and I'm, I'm asking that question because the attendance for this year's women's champions league final so the biggest game in club football uh, was of twenty thousand people only.
1: So I think that's a hard question to answer, mostly because it's impossible to predict what kind of impact it's going to have immediately on women's leagues. I think the exposure and the news coverage of the tournament can only be helpful to those domestic leagues, especially in the in the U.S. Um, news sources paying a lot more attention to. Even if uh, on the field and off the field activities relating to the women's team is just going to improve viewership. And we have companies like ESPN already taking notice of the ratings and the viewership surrounding the performances in the World Cup, already signing a deal to carry the National Women's Soccer League games, which comes to a close in October. So they're going to carry 14 games of that league going into October, including the semifinals and final. So I think that's just part of the evidence of uh, what the benefits of having such a competitive and well-viewed tournament can be.
0: Yeah, what do you think about the, about what the National Women's Soccer League is going to be like in the U.S.? Because there's this dichotomy that we're not used to in um, in the men's game where the U.S. is a national powerhouse in women's football. They have the best players in the world, yet very few, if not any of them, play or go to play in europe before coming back to the u.s do you think it's going to impact viewership in the sense that people who are already fan of a men's club in europe like chelsea or real madrid or barcelona could more easily support a women's team in europe but it'll be harder for them to just pick up some random women's team i'm saying random because for example red bulls or nycfc don't have a women's team it's, it's a different name it's not the same club so do you think it'd be better for the sport as a whole for to have American women move to Europe rather than staying in America. Do you think it's better if Alex Morgan, so currently Alex Morgan plays for Orlando Pride. Do you think it's better for the sport if Alex Morgan stays in the U.S. and plays for Orlando Pride, or is it better for Alex Morgan to go abroad and play for FC Barcelona, for Chelsea, for Lyon, for Bayern Munich, for Juventus, for a club that's already recognized, or has a brand, quote-unquote, that's already recognized worldwide. Rather than playing for Orlando Pride, it seems that, I didn't even know existed, for example, one that very few people know of. Um, Well, I'm sure it's important
1: to her to increase the uh, validity of her domestic league more so than grow a European league. But also, I think that's an interesting question because uh, it becomes whether the women should should have their own leagues and own teams and own identities that aren't defined by what's already existed for the men. So that's a, that's a difficult question. I think it's definitely helpful in the short term to co-opt the brand and the fans of already existing teams um, just to grow, like I said, in the short term. But maybe over the long term, it would be more helpful to women's football to have their own teams. That said, it's difficult when you have the NWSL not breaking viewership records and not breaking attendance records, to put it mildly.
0: Especially when you see that four of the women's professional soccer teams in America play in stadiums with 10,000 capacity or less? I also think it's a complex question and I might have to defer from your answer because I think it'd be better for the women's game as a whole to have these big players that everyone knows, players for example like Megan Rapinoe that now everyone in Europe knows after her performances and after winning best player, best top scorer, the World Cup, uh, for her to come to Europe and to play for one of the, you know, the biggest clubs that are already here, rather than staying in America, where the league itself in America obviously doesn't, have a, doesn't have a strong viewership. Um, I don't know. I think it's same same for all players, even in Latin America. You know, On the men's side, they all dream of going to play for Almagena in Barcelona. They all start out in their own domestic leagues, but they all dream of going to Europe. So I think for the women's game, it should be the same thing, especially because those clubs, the biggest clubs in the world, already have a massive fan base for their men's team that you, they can definitely at least throw, even if it's like, you know, let's say there's a million fans of, a club is a million fans for their men's team, all they need is 1% of those people to go watch the women's, and it's already as much or, you know, a very strong portion that the women have in the U.S. I don't know. I think it would be better for the women as a whole, and for branding, for exposure, to have them come to Europe and play for some of Europe's biggest clubs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, but then also that would put the American domestically completely by the wayside and could potentially damage the national team going forward. You know what I mean? Not really. Well, if you make the American domestically weaker, that's going to hurt the U.S. national team.
0: I don't know. The U.S. men's national team, everyone's begging for all their players to go to Europe because that's where the competition is fiercest.
1: Yeah, but if you don't have any good players in the MLS at all, then there's no breeding ground for young talent to be able to move to Europe.
0: I mean, it could also be argued that the breeding ground is college soccer. The thing is, you know, you can stay in there until you're almost 22, 23.
1: The best countries in the world, the best national teams have strong domestic leagues. The reason that the U.S. men's national team want their players to go to Europe so badly is because the men's national team is nowhere near the level that the U.S. women's national team is. It's like a step earlier to get to that, to that level where they can compete in international tournaments, like they can actually qualify for the World Cup maybe. <laughs> it's a pipe dream, I know. But the U.S. men's national team getting to the World Cup and actually competing
0: would probably need the MLS to be at least somewhat stronger. I definitely hear that argument. Um, and as cliche as it sounds, I guess, you know, only, only time can tell. We can only hope that you know, this this rising wave of support and interest continues on even during non-world cup years hell yeah so yeah, let's move on to uh, the copa america final where we had brazil peru last pod i predicted it would be an ugly match with a 1-0 brazil win which you seconded if i remember correctly
1: i seconded the uh, the winner but not that result i said i think three nil to brazil four nil maybe wasn't that bad. I don't think
0: he said four. I think he said three. Now. Okay. Okay. Well, it wasn't that bad. Two. You weren't far off with a three-one, but I was pretty close with the uh, with the ugly, because the second because the second half, especially the last like 20, 25 minutes, were just unwatchable. My goodness. I don't know if you watched the end. It was. I was so ridiculously bored. So just so in case you didn't watch it, the game ended three-one it was 2-0 at halftime. Sorry, it was 2-1 at halftime with Peru and Brazil both scoring in the last minute, 2-3 minutes of the first half. And then at the 70th minute, Gabriel Jesus gets sent off and Brazil just stopped playing. For 20 minutes, it's just the slowest passing around. They take 4 years to take throw-ins, 4 years to take free kicks. They fall down if like the wind blows by too strongly. It was so so painful to watch. That's the weakness, I think, of South American football. There was too much diving. The ref wasn't handing out cards any time. He was calling very weak fouls. It slowed the game down so badly, and it was so, 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 so frustrating to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, Brazil scored three goals on three shots on target, and once Gabriel Jesus was sent off, yeah, the match pretty much ground to a halt, and Richarlison's penalty in the 90th minute just put the match away. I don't think it was ever really that much in doubt, especially after um, Everton Suarez scored in the 15th minute for Brazil. But I still would have liked to see Peru
0: give Brazil more of a game. It's like when I watch those type of games, it's when I wish that I could just switch back to women's football or that it's the Women's World Cup where everything was a lot more fluid and intense. This was a final. And they were all, I mean, I don't know if it was the temperature or the fact that it was a final, so they might have been a bit tired after the whole competition. By the last 20 minutes, everyone was walking around. It was just really tough to watch. I can't emphasize that point enough. As a final, I mean, there was four goals, so obviously it was somewhat entertaining, but in terms of the quality, it, it wasn't there. Um, and I think the whole Cup America lacked in quality, honestly, overall. It wasn't a great, great spectacle. There wasn't a lot of, if any, memorable matches. Maybe Argentina-Brazil for the rivalry, but I don't know. I was pretty disappointed with it in the end. Yeah, that's what happens when the U.S. isn't invited. The U.S. has only been invited twice. I think maybe, actually, maybe even once only. So,
1: so tell me, when has the Copa America been great?
0: I don't know. You think when Chile won? Even even the Copa Centenario in the U.S. was a good cup. Um, yeah, when Chile the U.S. Time, was in it. Twenty fifteen was also just go. more entertaining. When U.S. wasn't in it in twenty fifteen. Oh, I was still talking about the twenty sixteen. Yeah. I moved on twenty fifteen. Uh, 2017. Sick, no, I don't know which years they were. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> um I, but you know, we can always say congratulations to Brazil. They went at home, um, mending a tiny little bit the damage that was done during 2014 and the disappointment of 2018. Um Bance, because Neymar wasn't part of the team, so that's another thing. He hasn't won now with Brazil. <laughs> um also shows you that they didn't need Neymar to win. So I don't know how Neymar would feel about that. Uh, one thing that I do want to address, though, were Messi's comments after the match saying that Conmebol and the refereeing was all corrupted, that they were all against Argentina, that he was like, oh, we can't play like this because everyone's against us. There's so much corruption. It's BS. Fam, he plays for Barcelona. Man is complaining about the refereeing after the PSG Barca 6-1. How many times has the referee, after the Chelsea-Barca game in 2009, so many matches that Barca have played in, and the ref has just been quite literally, I don't want to get, I'm not going to get too crude or, or graphic, but the ref was just at, at their hand, like at, at their heels the entire match, and he's like, oh... There's some corruption against us and the referee was bad. Yeah, suck it up. The referees isn't always on your side. I don't know. Can I, I was I was disappointed in his comments. Are you going to say something that's worthwhile?
1: I am. I'm going to say that you're plagiarizing Thiago Silva.
0: I'm echoing what he said. Yes, the sentiments and adding some of my own. You're all right, so that was not All right, so that's not worthwhile. So no, you cannot talk. I'll keep talking. You're plagiarizing. <laughs> I don't think I'm plagiarizing whatsoever. Marquinhos also called him out. Basically, all of the Brazilian PSG players called him out on it.
1: Well, the fact is, whenever any player says things like that after the game, it's only and gonna, and
0: sound And Dani Alves as well, who's only one of his closest like, friends in Barcelona, also
1: called him out on it. All right, well, when any player makes comments like that about the referee after getting truly smacked, it's, uh, it's only going to sound like sour grapes, regardless of any uh, validity of the statement. The question is where Messi goes from here with the, uh, with the national team and whether he's going to be part of, the, part of it even in the I next tournament.
0: Keep playing because they're hosting it next year. They're hosting what next year? The Copa America. They're having another one? Did you literally asked the exact same question last pod. Quite literally, the exact same question. I'm pretty sure it was the exact same wording as well.
1: They have them every year.
0: What? I don't even know what to tell you on that one. Go listen to our podcast if you want to. Hear it's a them. great
1: advertisement for the podcast. See, you can find out all sorts of useful things. So, I guess the question is also whether there's any truth to Messi's claims whatsoever.
0: What do you think? I just won't dignify that with a response. No, there wasn't anything. No, there wasn't. The officiating is what the officiating is. Sometimes it's in your favor, sometimes it's not. Brazil is at home. You always get a sort of home advantage. I just think he has to, you know, suck it up, dude. I don't know what to tell him. He's a great player, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just disappointing to hear him talk like that.
1: And play better, maybe.
0: Yeah, you tell him, man.
1: Messi, you should play better if you want to win. There you go.
0: All right, and then a quick word about the Gold Cup final, USA-Mexico, where I said, you said 3-0 to Mexico. I said 4-0 to Mexico, and it ended 1-0 to Mexico. Although it should have ended 3 or 4 nil. No, it shouldn't have. Are you serious?
1: Um, regardless, yes. I was closer. So 2-0 on predictions to
0: me. That's not how predictions work.
1: I think it is. Moving on. Um, uh, no, I actually think the U.S. pretty soundly dominated the first half and could have converted at least two chances if the U.S. had a proper striker. Really missing a goal scorer in that team. Josie Altidore... Great hold-up play. My God, he does not know how to finish. Christian Pulisic, great on the ball. Could not finish either. And Ariola on the wings, just absolutely going at it. Also could not finish for his life. Many, many close chances missed in the first half. And, you know, as, as soon as the second half started and Mexico made their adjustments on the wings mostly, they were able to dominate the game and keep possession of the ball. Not sure what possession the U.S. had in the second half, but I'm
0: sure it was less than 40%. You no, know, that, that game was pretty much the embodiment of a saying, a tale of two halves. The U.S., like Andrew just said, really dominated the first, had plenty of opportunities to score, didn't take any of them. And the second half came around, Mexico looked like a new team, and they, I mean, from start to finish, quite literally from the 45th and the 90th minute, absolutely steamrolled the Americans. I don't think I saw the Americans venture once into the box within the second half. If they do, I have zero recollection of it. All I have in my mind is Mexico cycling the ball around the back, uh, around the halfway line, and then giving it to one of my new favorite players, Pizarro, who I'd never heard of before, who just had the Americans on skates the entire latter half of the game. And yeah, again, like just to reiterate what Andrew said, they dominated the second half. They had plenty of chances, to so have scored more, but they took at least one, and that's all they needed to win.
1: Uh, yeah, Rodolfo Pizarro.
0: Actually, I have never heard of him either, but
1: he plays for Monterey in the MX, and he was really impressive in the second half. The other players I was impressed with on the Mexican side uh, included Jimenez, the Wolves player, and Ochoa, who had uh, several good saves throughout the game. And then on the American side, I was pleasantly surprised by Ariola, who has an unfortunate name, and Christian Pulisic, as always. And I thought the American back line actually played pretty well until, until conceding, of course. Um, the player who didn't impress me was, as usual for me when watching U.S. national team games, uh, Michael Bradley, who sat in front of the defense and routinely gave the ball away, especially through the second half. He looked absolutely gassed.
0: Yeah, I think Bradley's uh, a thing of the past, either he has a massive influence in terms of leadership in the locker room or America just has no one in the midfield to play I don't know
1: it's a new look American team and he yeah he's a relic
0: but what's most impressive for Mexico and maybe scary for the U.S. is that it was more or less a Mexico B team that showed up or at least an A- minus team when they were missing people like Javier Hernandez Irving Lozano, Miguel uh, Miguel León, Giovanni Dos Santos, Carlos Vela. So I I don't know what to say for the Americans. It's another setback, in my opinion.
1: But at the same time, those Mexican players not being there allowed for some of the lesser-known players to, to show up. Like we said, Pizarro and another guy, I had no idea. I had never heard his name before, and I think he made the team only through injury Antuna on the right wing.
0: Yeah, so I guess bright bright days ahead for Mexico and still dark days ahead for the U.S. I'd
1: say hazy days. Maybe, like, there's a little sunshine poking out behind a cloud, but you're not really sure.
0: And now also another quick word, because we still haven't watched any of the games, sadly, of the African Championships. But it was um, Upset City over the weekend. Upset M- Metropolis upset um no this is terrible stop waiting. megalopolis no upset continents in africa with uh plenty of upsets so we had one of the favorites morocco getting kicked out by benin on pens we had our boys madagascar do you remember their their team name it was something weird it was the Zebu or something of a species of Zebu. One of the two, I forget. Or the. Are the, you sure it's not pronounced Zebu? Like the Brera or the Brera? Br- Brera, something like that. Anyways, our boys from Madagascar beat um, the Congo on pens. And then what? the team who was the overwhelming favorites, Egypt, getting knocked out by South Africa 1-0. Yeah, they, uh, they were held 0-0 and then were hit on
1: the counter once and conceded to South Africa, who managed to see out the game in definitely the most surprising upset of the round of 16. The other teams that advanced were the Ivory Coast, uh, Algeria, Nigeria, and Tunisia, who also beat Ghana in pens. Lots of pens in the round of 16. And don't forget Senegal. Oh yeah,
0: and Senegal beat Uganda 1-0. Which is important for um, Sadio Mane's Ballon d'Or at the end of the year, or at least to be as highly ranked as possible. But Yeah, the Egypt game, the goal they conceded was. I'm going to blame the defender that was there. It was a counter attack because it was late game. I think they scored, what, the 85th, 86th? And and so Egypt was pushing hard uh, and they had like two men back. The ball came into the South African forward um, who laid off to a teammate. And instead of staying with the forward's run, the defender, the Egyptian defender, tried to step to block the ball. Didn't make it. And so the. South African forward was just in on goal just like that, so I think it was a mistake. I forget what the defender's name is called, but you know we'll we won't publicly shame him here, so let's <laughs> we won't bother with that. But
1: regardless, though, uh, th- uh, Egypt did dominate possession, but the fact is they only had uh, three shots on target throughout the whole match, so it wasn't as if South Africa was hanging on by a thread. Uh, And South Africa snatched it in the last 10 minutes. They did not play up to standard. And talking about Ballon d'Or, that will not help Mohamed Salah's
0: bid. I was just about to say that two players did not help their Ballon d'Or bids this summer, and that's uh, Salah and Messi. So you'd think that players like Van Dijk uh, or Bernardo Silva... Actually, sorry, one player did, and that's Allison, who I think is coming in as someone who's a dark horse, who's won... Uh, the best key- goalkeeper awards in every competition he's been in this season, the Prem, the Champions League, and the Copa America. Uh, and he, I, you know, honestly, I'd be fine with the goalkeeper winning anything. He did play really well this season, but yeah, Messi and Salah not making strong cases for for themselves. The only quote-unquote Ballon d'Or contender left in is Sergio Mane. We'll see how he does because, like I said, it's been a very heavy upset weekend, but then. Their match against Benin should see them through if, you know, logic is being followed. The quarterfinal I'm really excited about is Madagascar-Tunisia, because again, Madagascar... So with Tunisia beating Ghana on pens as well, I think Madagascar's a kind of solid chance of beating this team. I don't think they're massive, massive underdogs. Which means Mane could face Madagascar in the semis. I mean, I'd just be really excited for that team. It's against their first participation, so it's it's great to see you know, an underdog or a fairy tale run in any competition. And the bottom half is a half with, I guess, now the new favorites of the competition, which are Algeria. They'll have a great match uh, against the Ivory Coast, and then Nigeria takes on South Africa in the last tie for a place in the semis.
1: I'd probably say logic would dictate a Nigeria-Algeria semifinal, but since it's been Did you say Upset upset Metropolis will probably have Ivory Coast, South Africa?
0: Did you want to make predictions? Sure. Okay, let's do them right now. Your predictions for the semifinals.
1: Okay, my predictions are going to be South Africa, Algeria. I like Nigeria because Alex Iwobi uh, plays for Nigeria, and he actually scored the winner in their 3-2 victory over, over the holders Cameroon. But I think that their defense is obscenely weak, and they will concede at least twice. Um, So I'm going to go with Algeria and South Africa in the semis and Madagascar and Senegal. And then my final is going to be Senegal-Algeria, and and Senegal will take it.
0: You heard it here first. I'm going to go with Senegal-Madagascar in the semis because I want to root for Madagascar. And Nigeria against Algeria in the semifinals, And Algeria-Senegal in the finals. And then, I don't know, we'll see. I'm not going to call that just yet, but we'll see. That's going to be my final, though, Algeria-Senegal. So the same final.
1: He heard me say it first, and uh, he was inspired. So there you go, folks.
0: All right, now on to the second half of the podcast, a little more lighthearted, where we're going to talk about the new kits that have come out recently. Because, oh boy, I don't know about you, mate, but I have plenty to talk about. There is just oh, what was Nike thinking? Adidas? I'm not gonna lay go too hard. No, Adidas did well. Yeah, sometimes it's I'm not gonna Puma go. It's
1: Puma who did the worst.
0: I don't even know who was Puma this year.
1: It's City, isn't it?
0: Oh right, the new partnership. No, um, okay. How do you want? Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Do you want to go by leagues, by teams? Why don't Since we do we've clearly organized this beforehand?
1: Why don't we do the
0: the top four teams in each
1: um, in each big league in Europe and then we can go back and talk about specific other ones we liked
0: or disliked? Right, why don't we just go by what's what's more fun to start by? The really good or the really bad? That's what the good, because I think the good we Why did you even ask me? I just wanted to use my system, feeling my system's better. Let's start with the good because we'll have less to say about the good than about the really bad and the just downright terrifyingly ugly. I pick pers- like you.
1: Got um,
0: um. for my part, uh when I took just sort of the big European clubs, there were only two I mean you know, three teams that I categorized, whose kits, sorry, I categorized as good. And those were Liverpool, Real Madrid, and Arsenal.
1: You only have three good kits?
0: Three good kits. I don't have like the um, the big clubs. Like I think only took like probably the, what people would consider the top 10 clubs in Europe right now. That's okay, it. so to be clear, you're talking about their home kits? Yes, yes. Obviously their home kits because kit makers just go kind of nuts with the away kits and the third kits so I'm not really going to judge them unless they're particularly bad. I actually think the Real Madrid away kit is is pretty fire. Okay, yeah, you can yeah. I mean, this year they went back to the gold accents, which I really like especially with the white. It's a really clean, really cool look. Really into it. Liverpool, um they changed a little bit with having the striped lines start, I think more like a chest there instead of coming down from the shoulder and the neck, I like that. I think it makes the kit look a lot cleaner um, than otherwise if people have pinstripes all the way down. Uh, and then Arsenal, who after having a ass kit, a garbage kit last year... Um, Let's be real. Ever since Puma
1: has or took over, the kits have not been great. No, I, I, I like their kits from like three years ago. I quite enjoyed them. Okay, well, I didn't. And to... Uh, to talk about this year's kit. I think it's I think it's a great look. Uh, I really liked the the reveals and the promo and now I just I think it's a classic kind of retro look with the all white sleeves coming back, thank God. And I think the collar looks really nice with the the Adidas
0: stripes across the shoulders. I'm okay. a fan. And then technically speaking their away kit hasn't been officially released. But it looks like we're gonna go back to the bruise banana as it's called. Um, I am not I'm going to be a huge fan of it, depending on how retro it looks. If it's like very vintage, I dig it. But I also want to see how it looks like with the uh, shorts and socks, because that's what also really makes a kid, not just a top.
1: Yeah, I'm going to wait until the shorts and socks come out to say that I really love it,
0: but I at least really like it. So besides those three clubs, because those were the kids I deemed good, did you have any big club whose kits stood out to you as good or, or really good? Um,
1: I like Celtic's home kit. Uh, I like Dortmund's home kit, but I always do.
0: I, just, I dig the colors. Dortmund's ho- home kit quite literally looks like the same every season. And also they come out with, I think, up to three kits or four kits a season. There's like a special Champions League kit that's not a different color. It's also yellow. I don't know. For me... All the dormant kits are in a bunch and like a big bundle, and I can't tell you which one was from which year which one looks the best. But if you don't have any more good ones, I'll move on to the category I created called neutral. Where it's kits that I thought I thought weren't particularly bad, but weren't particularly amazing either.
1: And I'm actually also a big fan of Lester's home kit
0: this season. Alright, good thing I said big clubs. Okay. So in this neutral category I put Inter Milan, um, who the the whole the kid as a whole um, makes it not be put in the bad category because just the jersey, just the top itself, with the weird sideways bands right in the middle, is pretty bizarre. But the whole the kid as a whole is pretty clean, so I put it in the neutral category. Same with Manchester United, who all stuck to a you know the classic. Their stuff doesn't really change that much throughout the years. AC Milan, uh, I dig the multiple vertical lines, um, and Atletico, same with Atletico, is nothing to say about it, it's a normal kit, nothing crazy. Gotta be real, I
1: don't understand the neutral category, um, are you just saying all the ones you are different
0: about, because there are a lot. Okay, so good thing I explained at the beginning of this whole thing, saying the neutral category are kids that I didn't think were particularly bad, but I didn't think were particularly good either. Yeah, so that's like 90% of the kids. That's why I said the big clubs only. That's why I only put four clubs in it. And Bayern Munich could go in that category because it's just, you know, red, all red shirt. There's nothing much to say about it. It doesn't look particularly good, I want to say, but, you know, it's it's normal. Just like Atletico's shirt, it's normal.
1: Um, I guess if we're including them as a big club, which... I guess we should since they're in the Champions League final. Uh, I think Spurs' kit is pretty neutral. Looks exactly the same to me.
0: Yeah, clean. There's no design. It's plain white. I mean, that's the kind of kit design that I like. A little retro with just a plain look. Club's logo, it's just a number in the back, no name. That's how I would want it to be, honestly, in today's world. But kit manufacturers are never going to do that, sadly. But yeah, I would also put Tottenham's kit in the neutral zone. Do you have any more that you want to talk about? No, let's move on to the bad. Okay, so in the first bad category, so these are just kits that are are just bad. They're not ugly yet. The ugly will come after. These are the bad kits. I personally put Chelsea, um, PSG, and Man City. So Chelsea's kit is a whole mess. The home kit is just a mess. I read that they were trying to put stands designs in the jersey but it just looks like a little kid kind of drew squiggles and straight lines on a jersey and chelsea were like or sorry nike in this case we're just like yeah that's that's gonna be what we're gonna put on the home jersey it's pretty messy i'm not a fan yeah to uh
1: to move on to city to take that from you i'm gonna talk about city i think the mistake they made was trying to incorporate the purple into their kits I really don't think it goes with the sky blue whatsoever, and they've put it on their on their on their shorts, on their socks, and as the uh, the lettering on their kits. So I think that was a big mistake.
0: For me, what's bad about the city kits isn't necessarily the purple. I mean, it doesn't look great, but it doesn't look bad. It's just that it looks like a training kit. All of their kits, the Home, the Away, and Third, they just look like training kits. The Away does, I don't know why there's, the Away one is particularly bad because they're four colors, so it's all black with the bottom of one sleeve being baby blue, the opposite being this sort of like light pink. The Puma logo is also in pink, and then on the right sleeve only, there's a yellow, there's like yellow lines i don't know why they made this i don't know why they thought it looked good it's just really it's not and the only thing that saves them from being the really bad category is that at least it looks clean but the color scheme is just so 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 poor you done messed up puma you done messed up so i'm going to take this one and probably going to talk about it for a little bit because it concerns me a bit more than it concerns you because we're, talk- we're going to talk about PSG's home kit. So there's a man by the name of Daniel Eshter that created um, PSG's iconic kit of the white stripe with the red stripe in the middle that's become an iconic part of the PSG jersey, and that's been incorporated somehow in every single one of their jerseys. And the last two years, Nike have not done that, and in particular, last even two three years the jerseys have been just so ugly i think two years ago when neymar first came to the club that was the worst with the purple sleeves last year's was also pretty poor just because they didn't have the white um and this year they heard the fans and for some reason they decided to make a home jersey with where the white stripe is just massive it's so big and it just makes the jersey look so cheap and fake and i'm i was so disappointed when i saw it online i saw some renditions in like march or uh february where the jersey looked beautiful and then this design started popping up in like april may and i was praying to god that it just wasn't going to be that but unfortunately it was not a fan of the home jersey whatsoever what i'm excited for is the away jersey that's going to be a full-on retro so it's gonna be white with a red and black vertical lines on the left side only and it's a shout out to the retro kits from the 90s that was also the away kit i'm probably gonna mind up buying it also as a white collar i'm a huge fan it looks just so awesome is huge what, huge fan
1: is that what saves it from going into the uh, really bad category for you? yeah that
0: that i'm um, it's my favorite psg jersey since they've been taken over by qatar hands down it's beautiful. I can't wait for it to come out. I'm definitely gonna buy the away jersey and have Cavani put it in the back, 100%.
1: All right. Moving on now to the um, really bad kits. Who do we have in this category?
0: <sighs> okay. All right. It's for Adidas, it's the Juventus kits, and for Nike, it's the Barcelona kits. Which one you wanna take? I want. I also have crap to say about both. Um, So I guess we'll just try not step on each other's toes too much. So the only thing I'm gonna say about the Juventus kits is pink and half and half. Both terrible to say. Yeah, I'll let you say
1: the rest. Okay. Well, I think the back of the kits look absolutely god awful. They had to keep um, one color across the shoulders, I guess for the name but uh to to have that not go all the way down the back and have that divided it just looks so weird to me
0: and then i'll put up guys um if you want to see these kits and you don't want to leave the video because you'll probably listen to this on youtube i'll put up pictures of each kit that we're talking about so you can actively follow and understand what we're saying but that's also i forgot to mention that because i forgot they did that in the back is why not make the back uniform black and it's half and half crap? It looks just so, so stupid. Just so dumb. It looks so dumb.
1: Yeah, going with the half and half is uh, never a good call, I would say.
0: And it's just not, it's not, Juventus has never had a half and a half. Why make it half and half? It's always been um, multiple lines ever. And since um, someone pointed it out on social media, in the past three or four years, Adidas have been removing more and more lines from the kits. It used to be like six, and they wanted a four, then they wanted a three, and now they're going down to two to make a half and half with a pink stripe in the middle. It doesn't fit uh, the shirt whatsoever. I, it, Just a massive drop on the ball in this one and a massive slap in the face to just all of Juventus' history and heritage.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And then it's just funny seeing the players try and look like they're enjoying the kit. I also think the, uh, the away kit is pretty bad for them as well. Right, uh, just trying to put subtle camouflage into the away kit I also think was a mistake. I think Juventus are not going to look good.
0: Now to describe it, it's um, so imagine a base of pure white and then some off-white camouflage um, spots here and there and then it's red shorts, white socks and the Jeep, the Adidas and the Juventus logo are also in red. I don't know why they chose red and this weird off-white camo. I guess a bunch of like 12 euros and I think it's and dope, dude, and buy it up. But otherwise, it's, again, the kids this year are a huge slap in the face to Juventus and Juventus fans, in my opinion. I don't dig it at all. And now, that's so Adidas. What are you doing? Um, bad, very bad on your part. Uh, Nike, you don't think you're going to get away with anything because you did something that I think is even worse, and that's putting checkers for the Barcelona kits.
1: Picnic blanket.
0: Why, in the name of all that is holy in this earth, would you ever put checkers on a Barcelona kit? Why, why, Nike, are you taking the piss like this?
1: Uh Yeah, I just, I think it looks terrible. And then forcing the uh, the Catalan flag onto the collar design makes it look more crowded than it already
0: is. It's just not a good look. Uh, I'm never going to pick them to play FIFA because I'm not going to want to watch those disgusting jerseys while I play.
1: Yeah, same thing with
0: the uh, the half and half. I can't think of a checkered checkered kit that I like. And so far, it has been officially released, but the third kit is going to be this, like, I don't know, what do you call the color? Teal, teal, turquoise, blue. Uh, just It all looks terrible. I can't believe Barca agreed to this. I don't know if they have SA in the kit making, but I think the biggest L of 2019 so far will go to Nike for this these awful, awful, awful designs.
1: Uh Yeah, I think I think Juventus' might be worse, but I'm not a fan of either of
0: them. They're both really bad.
1: And that's why they're in the really bad category.
0: All right, is there any other particular kits that you want to talk about, maybe for some lower-tier clubs, in quote-unquote? I think
1: uh, Ajax's kits are really clean as well, really classy look, so I'm a fan of those. And like I said, Lester's kits are fresh, Bournemouth's kits are fresh. Uh, and there are a few others that I thought were particularly bad just in the Premier League. Yeah, Watford's kit I think looks pretty abysmal. Also going at the half and half, with the yellow and black looks pretty terrible. And then Southampton's collar is just the stuff of nightmares, really. So, um, yeah, other than that, though, I
0: think the kits are pretty standard. I do have also a quick shout-out, though, for Crystal Palace, who I am a big fan of. Um, with their kits this season, getting rid of the yellow, which I think made them, I get that it's a part of their whole club and whatnot. But I think getting rid of the yellow this year gave the gives the kit a much cleaner and fresher look, and a kit that I would really enjoy if my club had the same design.
1: Yeah, I think it's okay. I think the the vertical white stripes are a little a little weird. If it was just red and blue, I'd be more of a fan. And
0: that's why you're not a kit designer.
1: Well, there you go. If I was, I'd probably design something like the Everton home kit, which is a mess as well.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre. I don't know why they didn't continue that design throughout or even decide to make that design. It doesn't doesn't really fly. And Leicester's Away, I guess, is just ripping off West Germany's kit design. And then they decide to make it pink. Lots of bizarre decisions, lots of bizarre decisions going on. Uh, We'll probably have to wait until the third, the Away and third kits are released If you want to talk more about it, but yeah,
1: yeah. Officially, there are some rumors that are pretty definitely uh, could definitely be bad. Specifically, United's rumored away kit, Liverpool's rumored away kit. Those could be the stuff of nightmares as well.
0: All right, but that about wraps it up for this pod. After this nice little fashion, fashion segment. Do you have any parting words, Andrew? Any last minutes? Things, shout-outs you want to say?
1: It's been a dream, ladies and gentlemen. Not a nightmare like these kids. Very well
0: said. So we hope you enjoyed the second episode of Football Therapy. Um, We'll be back Monday, hopefully, with um, what we're going to do is a tier list of players. I think we're going to probably do... So we're going to use a classic system... Uh, classic English system of doing goalkeeper, wing backs, center backs, sixes and eights. Uh, sorry, or like sorry, sixes as an individual, and then eight tens, seven elevens, and then nines. So, if you don't know what I mean by that, just um, look up, look it up, Google it, Wikipedia. It will explain it on Monday's podcast. But we're gonna do a tier list. Uh, uh of the best 24 players in the world right now in each of these positions we'll see how much we can cover in the first podcast but i have a feeling that we're probably going to do the attacking players in one pod and the defensive players in another because we'll talk about the african championships and any transfer or other kind of news that has happened in the last week thanks everyone thanks everyone bye